Yeah. Maybe the so first is uh, it's been like a wonderful experience as much as I mentioned those are the things that are mm. uh, just to wrap up this particular thing when you, when you sat with those people yesterday people from the north, from the east from the south, you need friends across from the country. so when you think in terms of the country and the way we've been so disunited, the way we seem to hate each other, to, I mean the kind of complex that, that we have, just, just to put it in context, you, a unifier, even though they are determined in our <laughs> so how do, you, how do you feel about the future of this country? You know, it's you a are very, the man. Yeah, man, it's a very good question, and that uh, it makes me reflect. So, the 60s, and the 70s that I'm talking about when I met people like the late ambassador of Shemir Ushana met people like uh, the professor of Alicia Ukai met people like Francis Capoeira that, that I became you know amazing. I found myself in this how if you ask me how I'm not in a position to explain but suddenly I found myself of people that make me feel at home. And when I say home, but it's a completely different understanding. Because for me, home is like, you know, where you start from, which I didn't have. But to now, get into my 20s and 30s, Finding myself in the midst of people that are completely away, far away from my own upbringing, from my own, from my professional life, from my tribal arrangement life, it was known in those days. Um, let me say that I wish they were all around because they contributed immensely. So that person I think I am today, celebrating the life of art and nature. <laughs> celebrating the life of art and nature. That, that's taking me, uh, let me say, the point where I felt I could cross any country. <laughs> and I could bring down any barrier. With that knowledge, with that friendship, and with that association. Mm. So, uh, but <laughs> 85. Yes. Yeah. And underscore, <laughs> I, 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 I really. underscore a line in what you said yeah. about mm. the family I never had. Yes. Mm. Do you think it has something to do with the way your life has turned out? Or turned out? You know, I think you read it in something that is going to be out today where I answer the question when somebody said if you had parents and if they had objected to your first expedition would you have hmm. gone on such an expedition considering that the classmate friend of mine that I had in London that 
talk to how to do projects like this parents. Mm. So that question was put to me. And did you know I didn't what was the answer I gave? I not having not knowing exactly what it is like to have parents. Mm. So how can I answer? Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Mm-hmm. If I had, maybe if I had parents, mm-hmm. I would have, you know, been able to tell what that. If there's a new thing, come on, you're not going on this trip. I would have been able to say, okay, this is. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have any. Mm-hmm. So I, when I finished answering that question, I asked the questionnaire. Have I given you the answer you want? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. So far. And he said <laughs> that he didn't need any more answer. That was enough. Yeah. And I think I went on to uh, also finish the book. calendar that I have been told to be submitted today. Because not having any, mm. and not knowing what it is like to live and have parents, around you, left me in a very adventurous world mm. and I felt then that the only way to break those barriers, to cross those boundaries, mm. is to adventure, to try the impossible, even if it means my life mm. going with it. And, uh, and look at where it's taking me to. I, I mean, let's let's talk about this your life, you know, because you're probably the one of the only persons in Nigeria that has cut across every sector of the Nigerian economy. Even the military, at some point you were a top trainer at the military academy, you got a chance to impact a lot of people. Most of the infrastructure in Nigeria today, you built them. They, when they were redoing the Qatar Bridge in Lagos, you worked on that project. You built bridges all over the country. Even the River Niger. Even the River Niger. That's when it was uh, bombed out. And, bombed uh, out during the war. You, I mean, when you just look back, what? How did that shape you? The fact that you've interfaced with anybody that is who is who in Nigeria today across every sector of the how did that shape you? Profile is another tough question because um, I used to top it, then look at the rooms that we made of all these things that we did. I remember the, when one of my business school uh, studies. Mm. 
or that it takes only one of these two rooms to collapse, then everything about your life will change. I don't know if you see. Yes, him. yes, yes. I can see the connection. And there he was, a whole class of about the two of us. Mm. But he addressed me in his statement. And I said to myself, as an English man, why did he single me out in the class of students to close his lectures? That was when. I started saying to myself, I may have touched this lecturer, this professor, with something that had contained either in my resume or in my presentation. And, and I became conscious of that. And in dealing with dealt with governors, ministers, senators, MS, OBs, KBCs, all over the country. I was always bearing that in mind. That you, look, I have, I may have done one or two good things, but all it takes is to do one bad one. And then you, your reputation will go into question. And, uh, and questions that you may not be able to answer. Mm -hmm. So I think all those things propelled my... Uh, but, but I don't want to take that for granted. Mm -hmm. Because, um, yes, I'm 85, but, but I'm still building. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm still, yes. I'm still making friends. Yeah. Yes. Like even where we're standing, we're yes. still building. Yes. Yes. I'm still, you know, sponsoring things. I'm still engaging. You talked about friendship of from twenty. I think you said so. Uh, five can make friends with twenty-year-old year old and ninety-year-old. I'm still doing with that. The and with the high. I'm still doing that. And I think that that's where my joy. Is coming from, and, uh, and the fact that I am still able to. Let's, let's talk about some things that are dear to you. Mm. How you turned a desert into a, for a forest yes. in Kano. That's a story that you always want to tell. Yes. And the fact that at some point somebody wanted to cut down the trees. Hmm? And we're not going to come. Yeah, yeah. It's it's in the book. come to that. It's in the book. <laughs> You know, only a couple of months ago, mm. I got a call from the principal of the school that I started in the desert. Mm. Why did I start the school? You know, you can imagine living not on top of a car, a tent in the desert, mm. and waking up at four, five o'clock in the morning to water the plants, the trees that I have planted the day before. It occurred to me, I said, all I need to do is to start a school here. And I spoke with a few of those that were 
helping me out from the governor's office, from the Emirates. And I said, what would it take to start a secondary school here? They said, all we needed was a, a kind of approval from the Ministry of Education. And I we went to the Ministry of Education. I saw the pump set. The commissioner wasn't around. And I said, look, this is what I'm doing. Fortunately for me, I had started tree planting competition in 18 schools in Kano State. So, so, so they knew, the palms that knew, and they were very... Mm. And you know, not just starting, the schools that didn't have water, most of them didn't have water. I drilled either a borehole or a well to be able to get. So the idea of starting the school was mainly to use the school children to, for them to become part of the education of environmental degradation and at the same time help me to water these plants every morning and every evening. Anyway, going back to my story, the population of that school today, from 15 students mm. that we started with, went up to 600. Mm. And the ministry, myself, the Emirates, we couldn't cope with that kind of uh, expansion. So schools, a lot of classrooms didn't have chairs and tables. And the principal called, well, okay, let me go back a little bit. The principal brought in a carpenter to find how we have the best way of making in, in accordance with his budget, chairs and tables for the school. And the carpenter said, look, you have these mighty trees now. Why don't we cut down a few of them? And we can use the timber from those to make each other of them. And the principal unfortunately said, look, I can't do that without calling Jibuno, that's what they called me. Mm -hmm. So he called me. So I said, Mr. Principal, <laughs> if you touch any of those things, <laughs> take it that you are cutting my heart, you're killing me. Mm. And I made the mistake, I don't know whether to call it a mistake of touching him. He was almost transferred away from that school, but I pleaded. But what did that get? Where did that get us? The ministry now intervenes mm. and now re equips the school. Mm. So, for me, that's a success story. Mm. Not only for the school, for the, for the community, principal, even mm. for the country. I also want to segue that into because you're a builder into taking a bold step, which a lot of people will say, oh, at the age of retirement at 75, you should shut down and just buy it out. But you started building again at the age of 75, somewhere called the Nelson Mandela Gardens, which you built in that where we are where today, yeah. at the age of 75. Tell us about the story. I'm considering that this was going to be a wasteland. Wasteland, yeah. Particular the mash, building, the mash lab, yeah. yeah. Um, a number of things. Mandela was my mentor. 
Paolo Rhein, who in my late 20s, early 30s, when I started hearing about this man, because of my activism in the UK as a student. Then this movement, in fact, Jafojo, I don't know if you remember Jafojo. He was in the UK. He was like the president of Free Mandela movement. I was the vice president. I think he's still alive. Or is he gone? I think he's gone. Oh, okay. And we, what did we do? Went to Hyde Park, talked, carried placards. So, and that was after his arrest and then the various the trials. For some of us, we thought they were going to kill him, mm -hmm. sentence him to to death. Said, give him like a death sentence. But fortunately, in fact, we jubilated the day he got the life sentence. Mm -hmm. Because we knew, or let me say, I knew that if this man was to live, that he will not only change the whole uh, political landscape in the continent of Africa, that he will probably become an icon, mm. a global icon. Mm. That was my thinking then, and that was why I followed everything I read, everything that was published during his trial, during his sentence. Mm and all through this period in prison. Many people didn't know that. I was also, apart from doing all that, I tried to join ANC. Mm -hmm. I even had meetings with Winnie during his imprisonment. I met with Winnie in Angola mm -hmm. to show you how far I paid my way they said, look, where, how can we do this? How can we talk? Hmm. We decided on the neutral place. And Angola was the only place that could offer us the kind of protection we needed. I flew down to Angola to do that with Benny. Anyway, fast back. When he was finally free, through winning Zinzi, and a few friends in South Africa was able to have a meeting with the icon. And they invited me to, to New York during, just before the declaration of a day in a year to be commemorated as World Mandela Day. Mm. I was at the United Nations with, with Ndaba. Mm. So, I don't yeah. came to open this place. Yes. Where the decision was made by UN about the commemoration, not just about the commemoration, but about monuments that should be built around the world. In his honor. Mm. And that was how I offered. Without even knowing where the money was going to come from, without even knowing how, what was apart from getting the endorsement, which I got. Okay, no, before I got the endorsement, I was asked to go and bring what? You know, like, you stand up at the, 
Let me have a section in the UN and say, you, I'll do, I take one to Nigeria and they say to you, look at this Nigerian, okay, go and bring your plan. <laughs> <laughs> you can't enjoy making out. <laughs> and I, that's this. So I, immediately from New York, I contacted uh, to me. He just left, he yeah. met him the other day. And I gave him over the phone Foundation, so they said, This is the best we have received. Wow. It was the power of vision. Yeah. So they gave me. It was why they all came. In fact, if not for Mandela's ill health at that time, he would have. Uh, but of course, his whole family came. And so the question then was where am I going to science? Fortunately, again, that's uh, destiny. But I now you went back to a few years back. If I was there, when the governor, Eduardo's representative, made a speech during my 75th birthday, which I celebrated with 75 trees in the Queen, Fashola was there. All the major dignitaries, friends of the environment, were all there. And uh, the speech from Udwara was Newton, you've done so much in the desert. You've done the greening of Abuja. Now you're doing 75, a garden of 75 trees in Lagos. But you are yet to do anything in your home state. And everybody applauded the speech. And you took that as your cue. <laughs> I took that as a challenge. I said, okay, that's it. So when that decision was going through my uh, when it was going through my mind, where should I? Should I go to Fashola or should I go to Abuja uh, 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 to the FCT minister? Uh, do I go? I decided. Then I remember the speech. Mm. 